Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Harvard here with you. Have you voted? We'll get to that in just a minute. Greg Palace is going to drop by and talk about three ways Trump can steal the election. Now, I'm not trying to increase your anxiety level. There are things we can do about these things. Forewarned is forearmed. So a lot going on. It's going to be a fascinating show. The Taliban, well, presumably it was the Taliban. The Taliban actually issued a news release saying it wasn't them. Maybe it was ISIS, but, uh, well, let's say it was ISIS, actually. It would even be more similar. Just murdered 19 people at the uh, Kabul University in Afghanistan. So I tweeted, well, this is what happens when you put idiots with pickup trucks, assault weapons, and giant flags in charge of your government. It's remarkable the, the number of people who responded to my tweet with photos of ISIS caravans and Trump trains, Trump caravans. Uh, they're calling them Trump trains now. I guess that's a, you know, an attempt to make it voter intimidation sound nice. But I think the bottom line here is that fascism is what's on the ballot. Fascists build walls like they did around East Germany and East Berlin. Donald Trump is building a new unscalable wall around the White House today. They're starting construction, and the Republican Party has spent the past four years celebrating a war on our southern border. Fascists divide and imprison people based on ideology and race. Trump and the Republicans have put children in cages after tearing them away from their mothers and built out a private for-profit prison system to hold refugees of color. Fascists don't believe in free and fair elections. And Donald Trump and the Republican Party have spent years fighting to make it harder for Americans to vote and to have their vote counted. In fact, right now down in Texas, uh, they're going before a right-wing judge. Honest to God, yes, an infamously right-wing judge to try and throw out 130,000 votes from people who voted uh, from their cars. Right now, they're launching hundreds of lawsuits and other efforts all across our nation to prevent people from voting or to block votes that have already been cast from being counted. Fascists support the power of very wealthy people and corporations uh, that make them rich. After all, the definition of fascism 
is the merger of corporate and state interests. Trump and the Republican Party have shoveled over $3 trillion just in the last four years to the wealthiest Americans, and they're working every day to gut protective regulations. Fascists use threats and intimidations to get their way politically, and Trump and his Republican allies are openly encouraging this emerging American Taliban to harass Democratic politicians and voters on our roads and highways, in our cities, and at our polling places. Fascists use the power of government to reward their friends and punish their enemies. Trump and the Republicans, he's put in charge of the Justice Department and DHS. And by the way, Chad Wolf, the head of the DHS, is, is running around the country right now campaigning for Trump. They have openly pursued politically motivated investigations while giving giant corporations a pass and trying to block prosecutions and convictions of Trump's criminal cronies. <laughs> There's a whole long list of them. Fascists pervert the justice systems of their nations by packing their courts with right-wing ideologues, something Donald Trump and the Republicans have spent the last four years doing, packing our federal court system with often openly unqualified. I mean, American Bar Association, this person is unqualified. Amy Coney Barrett never tried a case in her life. She's on the Supreme Court now. The world is watching as for the past 40 years, but it, and in particular the past 20 years, the Republican Party has been pushing America in an openly fascistic direction. Last week, more than 80 of America's and the world's top scholars and experts on fascism and authoritarianism wrote an open letter to the American public saying, quote, we have seen all these patterns in our study of the past and we recognize the signs of a crisis of democracy. We need to turn away from the rule by entrenched elites and return to the rule of law. We must replace the politics of internal enemies with the politics of adversaries in a healthy democratic marketplace of ideas. They warn that, quote, if we don't, we will indeed face dark days ahead. You know, it's a cliche to point out that back in 1787, as Ben Franklin was walking out of the Constitutional Convention, a woman asked him, well, sir, what do we have? What form of government shall we uh, live under? And he said, a republic, madam, if you can keep it. He was right. Vote. Meanwhile, wannabe fascist Donald Trump Jr. is busted, caught on tape, telling his supporters to harass Biden campaign folks in Texas. This is, you know, we've, the, you've got this uh, Trump train down in Texas that tried to run the, the Biden-Harris bus off the road. Neither Biden or Harris were in the bus. Wendy Davis was in that bus, you know, the Texas politician, former state senator. Maybe she is again, I'm not sure. But in this video, this is Don Jr., the, you know, the rising star and apparent cokehead. If you've watched his videos, I mean, I, you know, those of us who tried cocaine back in the 60s can tell you exactly what's going on with Donald Trump Jr. And, you know, he had a substantial substance abuse problem apparently back in the day. But anyhow, he said, hey, Laredo, Don Jr. here. I heard you had an awesome turnout for the Trump train. It'd be great if you guys would all get together, head down to McAllen and give Kamala Harris a nice Trump train welcome. Get out there, have some fun, enjoy it. Right. Yeah, because this is what you do in a democracy. You harass and threaten people. That's how you win elections, right? Well, no, that's how you win elections in Afghanistan. And that's literally what they're doing right now in Afghanistan. 
I mentioned that the right-wing judge in Harris County. The lawsuit was filed by a very wealthy Republican donor and a uh, Republican congressperson. And the uh, judge is uh, U.S. District Judge Andrew Hanen, H-A-N-E-N, uh, overseeing the case. This piece I have here from... Oh, it's from Slate. Slate reporter Mark Joseph Stern. He says, U.S. District Judge Hannon is a rabid partisan. Alarmingly, he scheduled a hearing in this case without even giving Harris County a chance to file a response brief. This is the third time the Republican Party has tried to invalidate more than 120,000 ballots. The uh, state Supreme Court turned them down. So now they're going to federal court. Right? They tried it in the state courts. Didn't work. Now they're going to the federal courts. They're basically shopping around for a right-wing judge or, a, you know, a Trumpy judge. So, you know, the question, will America embrace or reject fascism in 2020? How do you think this election is going to play out? Do you think it's going to be called by, you know, 1, 2 o'clock in the morning? Do you think it's going to last for days? I'm, my sense is that this is going to be a blowout for Biden and Harris, but we'll see. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Whether it's a blowout is going to depend on a large, in large part on whether people actually show up to vote in those states where that's their only choice. And did you see the, the Trump rally where the people were chanting fire Fauci? And Trump is like, well, yeah, you know, wait until after the election, right? You know, he's a popular guy and I can't fire him right now. Well, I mean, he didn't go into the whole, the whole long explanation. But, you know, I think it's fairly obvious. The whole fire, fire Fauci thing is all about, you know, Trump promoting the idea that, hey, no big deal. You know, the, the virus is no big deal. You can just, you know, go on with it. It's, it's just no big deal. This is Jonathan Swan, the uh, reporter for Axios. He says Trump has a long firing list, people he's going to fire as soon as he has an opportunity. They include the FBI Director Chris Wray, the CIA Director Gina Haspel, Defense Secretary Mark Esper, and more. But this was in Opelika, Florida, where the crowd was chanting, Fire Fauci, Fire, Fire Fauci, and Trump said, and I quote, Don't tell anybody, but uh, let me wait until a little after the election. And this, of course, after he signed an executive order last week that gives him the power to fire civil servants without the protection of the civil service system, which is designed to insulate people from political pressure. It's explicitly designed to prevent political pressure. And here we are. He can now fire people who are just, you know, doing their job because he doesn't think they're loyal enough. This is not how a democracy is supposed to function. It's not at all how a democracy is supposed to function. Ari Berman tweeting facts about the vote. No state certifies the winner on election night. That's true. It takes, I think, uh, Typically, December 20th is the date that, you know, the, the, the vote has to be certified by. In 18 states, ballots can arrive after Election Day according to state law. In 29 states, military ballots can be received after Election Day. But Donald Trump doesn't want those military ballots counted. He doesn't want any ballots counted. 
I mean, this is just like, this is the way it's going. You know, and these guys are like, you know, very, very serious about this. I mean, you know, it's doing whatever they can to make sure that the votes are not counted, that generally speaking, people are intimidated. I'm all in favor of people showing political enthusiasm. I think, you know, people going out with a bunch of cars, waving Trump signs is a fine thing. But when they, when they surround a bus, slow down to 20 miles an hour and ram into a car, I think we have a problem. I mean, that's what happened. This was not a statement of political preference. This was a threat. I don't see any other way to describe it. Doug in Houston, Texas says here you disagree with me, so you go to the front of the line. What's up, Doug? Well, y'all easily forget that talk about how the Republicans are harassing and that's how we, we do things. But Maxine Waters specifically said a long time ago, you see a Republican politician, make sure they feel unwelcome and get out and harass. Yeah, right. Doug, whether or not she said that, number one, I don't know. She did. Number two, that is a completely different thing from surrounding a campaign bus, slowing down to 20 miles an hour, banging into cars, creating a hazard on the highway. As I said, I have no objection to people flying Trump flags. They slowed down to 20 miles an hour on the highway. You had the people on the bus dialing 911. That's intimidation. You know, if people are flying Trump flags, God bless them. If they're flying Biden flags, God bless them. This is America. We can express our political opinions. But expressing your political opinions and slowing somebody down in traffic are two completely different things. Well, I mean, that's a matter of opinion. How but can I'm you not understand that, that Doug? She said that this is not about anybody. I'm talking about what happened in Texas over the weekend and Donald Trump Jr. calling for it to happen. And then Donald Trump Sr. bragging about it afterwards. Let's intimidate people. How can you you call yourself a patriotic American, Doug, if you think that political intimidation is a good thing? That's the kind of crap that they pull in authoritarian countries. Why don't y'all even try to convince me why I should vote for Biden without just uh, talking about how bad Trump is? Nobody can give me anything positive. Okay. How about he doesn't want to take away your protections against pre-existing conditions? How about he wants to make sure that Social Security and Medicare are solid? How about he wants to make sure that long-term unemployment protection is still there? Republicans are trying to destroy all those things, Doug, right now. No, they're On not. the 10th of this month, no, they're not. they are going Absolutely before the Supreme Court to strike down all of the Affordable Care Act, which includes your protection against pre-existing conditions. They've been working on this for 10 years. We need to get rid of the ACA and Obamacare, well, the Obamacare, but they are not trying to get rid of your pre-existing. That is a lie, and you know it. The protection against insurance companies saying, no, we're not going to cover your pre-existing conditions, is part of the Affordable Care Act, Doug. If you strike that law down the next day, if, they, if the Supreme Court strikes that down on November 10th, I mean, obviously it's going to take a couple months, but if they struck it down on November 10th, on November 11th, you show up at the hospital with uh, lung cancer and they say, oh, you've been smoking for years. We're not going to pay for you. The next day, that is untrue and you know it. How is it Out untrue? Of all that? these progressive ones that if I If the Supreme Court strikes time, down a law that says insurance companies can't do it, what makes you think that they can't do it? What am I missing here? How is slowing down traffic not a form of intimidation? 
Greg Pallast and I did a little um, dance video, <laughs> a conversation a couple of days ago, and uh, Greg pushed it out yesterday or over the weekend, and I retweeted it, and we put it on our Facebook feed for the Tom Hartman program, so you can find it in those places. Of course, the easiest place to find it is at gregpallast.com. Greg's on the line with us. He's the author of How Trump Stole 2020, among other brilliant books. Three ways Trump can steal the election constitutionally. So, Greg, uh, cover some of this territory for us. Okay, well, three ways to uh, to shoplift this election constitutionally. And by the way, go to gregpals.com and see Tom and I uh, describe it in detail. There's three ways. Let's start with number 12, though, which is the 12th Amendment. No one gets 270 votes in the Electoral College. We've discussed this. It goes to the 12th Amendment, which means it goes to the House of Representatives. No, Nancy Pelosi does not pick the president out of a sorting hat. It's one state, one vote. Right now, depending on how you count it, it's 26 Republican-controlled delegations and 23 Democrats, one tied. That's one way it can happen. The other is Article 2 of the – and by the way, how does that happen? You know, the, the, the grease to have this – not for no one to get 270 votes when there's really only two guys on the ballot, on the electoral ballot, is violence. You know, we had the Brooks Brothers riot back in 2000, supposedly are claimed to be directed by Roger Stone. Well, he's back, and now his new group, the Proud Boys, they don't wear Brooks Brothers suits, Tom. Uh, in 2000, they went into the Miami-Dade uh, voting office, uh, the elections office, and they went berserk. They started a riot, and they shut down the vote, at which point the Secretary of State named Catherine Harris, the GOP Secretary of State who's also running the Bush campaign, said, that's over. The, uh, the count's over, and that was it. And Bush was ahead by 537 votes with 178,000 votes uncounted, Tom. If that happens again, that's how they can take Florida. But if they can't get Trump, have a cutoff point where Trump is still winning, they simply will say, well, there's too many fraudulent votes coming in from Venezuela. And, um, and the vote count may be stopped by the Proud Boys. They don't wear Brooks Brothers suits, but we do have photos of them using iron pipes and baseball bats to beat up people of color they don't like. We've got that on film. This can stop the count. People could be terrified and the count could stop. And there's no electoral votes in Florida or, say, Michigan. Now, how does that happen? That's the second method, Tom. Article 2 says that the president of the United States is to be picked by electors chosen not by the voters. Ready, Tom? As you point out to me, it's only the legislature. There's no right to vote for president in the Constitution. The right to vote for president, choose the electors, is your legislature. Article 2. Amendment 2 is how they're going to try to stop the vote. Article 2 is how they're going to stop the count. And as you pointed out to me, back in Florida, uh, you've you've been giving me a good education, Tom. And and by the way, if you want a further education, I recommend everyone read a great book called The Hidden History of the War on Voting. Back in November of 2000, the Florida legislature actually passed a law that required that only George Bush's electors could be sent to Electoral College, even if the courts required them to count those 178,000 votes. By the way, they were in Jacksonville, Miami. Gore won Florida walking away. They actually passed a law saying it's Bush's electors. So no matter what happened in court, it was up to the legislature, and they even sent a note to the Supreme Court saying, "It is look at the Constitution, it is up to us, the Republican legislature. We've picked the Bush electors, that's it, and that's final. That can happen again. And, of course, the excuse, Tom, I don't mean to filibuster, but the excuse is 
that some guy with a strange comb over is going to claim fraud. And so it will be an excuse for state legislatures, even if Biden is ahead in the vote, to say too many mail-in fraudulent votes. We can't count them on time. Remember, they have to be certified within a few weeks. We can't count them. They're fraudulent. We can't verify them. We're not going to count them. And therefore, the electors, will, as Trump has suggested, the night of or within a couple of days of the election, whatever the count is then, with Trump probably ahead because of his advantage of increasing voters, the legislatures can pick the president. And, of course, the third way, in case any of this sounds frightening, something called the Electoral Count Act of 1887. I know that you've recently all reread that, but I'll fill you in. It's a complex law which has never been used, never been tested, and it says what happens if there's competing slates of electors. It goes to the Supreme Court. So, you know, what is the Electoral Count Act? Well, whatever Amy Covid Barrett says it is. Supremes picked our president in 2000, and it could be deja vu all over again. So there's the three ways he can steal it constitutionally, but there is a way to prevent it, Tom. And I'll let you say it show up and vote in overwhelming numbers. Greg, this story, I'm frankly increasingly thinking that none of these scenarios are going to play out just because it's so looking like a blowout. Knock wood, right? I mean, we, we thought we had this in the bag four years ago. But that said, going forward, there is a really great, solid effort. If you go to nationalpopularvote.com and you can see the website for this, of states, this does not require amending the Constitution, but it does away with the Electoral College by having states, agreement. Uh, if they can get enough states to sign up for this thing to equal 270 electoral votes, each state will commit all of their electoral votes. Because as you point out, Article 2 says the state can tell their electors to vote for anybody they damn well please. Right. So the states will tell their electors to vote for whoever won the national popular vote, thus nationalpopularvote.com. Number one, that does away with the Electoral College. And number two, as I was talking with Pramila Jayapal about last Thursday, isn't it time for us to say that the right to vote, even though that, that phrase appears, I believe, three times in the Constitution, 13th, 19th, and 27th Amendments, in the if amendments, my memory serves yeah. me right, in the and uh, that, the, that the right to vote, which also appears in the Motor Voter Act in both the uh, black letter law and the preamble, the right to vote is a, an absolute right. The Supreme Court has not recognized that right, and therefore all these states can get away with suppressing the vote. But if we had a right to vote in law, then before Brian Kemp could remove you from the voting rolls, he would have to go through some sort of due process. He would have to prove to a court that you actually don't live in Georgia anymore. And well, there's also a practical matter. These shenanigans. There's a practical matter for this election, which is, according to the Wall Street Journal, says that there are probably going to be 7 million votes in 13 key states mail-in votes, which will arrive too late to be counted. Seven sure. million. Now, if there was a right to a vote, they would have to be counted. But you've got these states which are saying, SOL, and the Supreme Court has, you know, for the most part said, if it's late, it's late, you're out of luck. Seven million ballots. We're going to have to have a fight over that. The other, though, is here's a solution. I don't want people to go away in tears. In Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, these are swing states, New Hampshire, there is same-day registration. You can walk into the polling station and register there if you're not. And most important, 16 million of you have been purged from the voter rolls. So bring your photo ID, bring your proof of address, and register on the spot if they say, oh, you're not on the rolls anymore. 
There and you watch go. the film there at gregpalace.com. Yep, or on my uh, on my Facebook page, uh, Facebook.com, whatever it is. <laughs> Tom Hartman's uh, program's Facebook page. Greg Palace, the great Greg Palace. GregPalace.com, the website. Thanks, Greg. You're the best, Tom. Thank you. Bye. There is a, a story in the news that actually gives me hope. I mean, there, there's a bunch of stories that give me hope, but this one in particular, I think that we have to understand it in the context of the impact that media has on politics. Let's step into the Wayback Machine and go back to, I believe it was 64, maybe it was 65, my apologies for not remembering the year that John Lewis got beaten on the Edmund Pettus Bridge, marching into or out of Selma, as I recall. When that happened, actually, let's back up just a little bit before that. John Lewis and the people who were working on that march, they were specifically looking for opportunities to have a confrontation with the police in which they would be nonviolent. John Lewis never broke a window never set a building on fire, never tagged anything with graffiti. And these fools who are doing this stuff around the country are just feeding Donald Trump. They are feeding Fox News. And I know that some of them actually like that. They want to be doing that. Set aside that editorial comment for a moment. When John Lewis and friends got beaten on that bridge, CBS News carried that story. Walter Cronkite carried that live. I'm assuming the other news networks did too. And white America was shocked. Black America was like, well, of course, this has been going on forever. A lot of white Americans were shocked, and that led to the passage of the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act. That's the power of nonviolent resistance. And it's also, and more importantly, the power of the media. They were looking for very specific high-profile opportunities to be peaceful, to peacefully confront power. So fast forward to today. We have this uh, I Am Change march down in, uh, in Greensboro, North Carolina. Reverend Greg Drumright put this thing together. And basically these folks were going to march to the voting place and cast their votes. And along the way, a bunch of police stopped them and pepper sprayed them and tear gassed them, including an old lady in a wheelchair, a five-year-old kid. I mean, it was just, you know, a less violent, but it was like the Edmund Pettus Bridge all over again. And the reason that that gives me hope is that there was not a violent response to this. It was a completely peaceful response on the part of the marchers. The police obviously responded with violence. And America is horrified by that and it made the national news. When these kinds of stories of nonviolence make the news, now keep in mind, again, whether it's the, the guys from Bob Avakian's cult, the Revolutionary Communist Party, who are breaking windows and smashing stuff, or whether it's, as we saw in Minneapolis, right-wingers trying to provoke left-wingers, trying to provoke a riot by smashing windows. You remember Umbrella Man? Whatever the case may be, again, that feeds the authoritarian machine. But when peaceful protesters are pepper sprayed, 
or beaten and prevented from going to the polls. And, and uh, Reverend Drumright on television, there are people who will not, who did not have an opportunity to vote today because the police stopped us. When that kind of thing happens, it's, I think, frankly, optimistic sign. Number one, that Americans still understand the power of nonviolent protest and are willing to nonviolently protest and confront power like this. And number two, it's getting good media coverage, and I think it's waking people up. As I said in the, in the conversation with Greg Pallas, and, and I think it's really worth repeating, regardless of what happens in this election, or let's say most importantly, if in this election, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris end up president and vice president, Democrats take the Senate and hold the House. And all those things are looking likely. Keep in mind, they're looking likely based on a lot of people voting by mail, which Louis DeJoy doing his criminal best to prevent from happening. But nonetheless, if that happens, our real work begins January 21st, the first day, the first full day of the Biden presidency. That's the day that we have to be fighting for an absolute right to vote to be added to our Constitution so that the Supreme Court can never overturn it. A 28th Amendment that says that, you know, the right to vote shall not be abridged. Every American citizen who has achieved the age of majority shall have the right to vote, period, full stop. We've got to do that, and we've got to get rid of the Electoral College by getting more states involved in, the, uh, in this interstate compact at nationalpopularvote.com. These two things have to be the focus of an, I realize that there's a million things that need to be done, but these two things have to be at the top of our list. You know, even the governor of North Carolina, Roy Cooper, came out and said, this is unacceptable, was the phrase, the behavior by the police. Linda in South Pasadena, California, watching on Free Speech TV. Hey, Linda, what's on your mind today? wanted to give a heads up on what I experienced here in our little suburban town of South Pasadena, California on Saturday. Apparently, a friend of mine called me and said, the Trump people are coming to have a rally here in our town. And I said, here? So the two of us went with a sign that said racism should not be the face of America. Slowly but surely, about 75 very raucous, huge signs, motorcycles that sounded so awful, and big trucks came and circulated around our time. There was, it was very noisy. It was very loud. And these people were extremely assertive. And they took over our space and with these big flags in our faces. People were, South Pasadenans were appalled. And I just want to say that they were shouting. A lot of them didn't have masks. And they objected when I said something to them. Actually became very violent. We were only two of us. And then gradually... People who were passerbys were appalled, and they joined us, and they made their own signs, you know, from whatever. So there was these teenagers that were help, helping us hold the signs, and all of a sudden my friend shouted, My God, he spit on her! And this old man, this old Trumpster man, spit on this little 13-year-old all over her face. And another oh incident happened that they brought in these people that were selling books like Trump was sent by God or something like that. But anyway, I just want to warn people that these people, you know, they were shouting QAnon things about call your Democratic congressman and tell them that their people are pedophiles and this and that. 
And so it was really quite violent. It was a violent attack on your sensibilities, and then it actually got violent. So I'm signing up for election protection. I wanted to buy a bulletproof vest, but vest, but they're too expensive. But anyway, I just don't think this is going to be an easy ride at all. I suspect that election, well, we'll see. My concern, Linda, obviously we all have a concern about the following days, but I think the larger concern is what happens after that. You know, how do we yes. recover from this? The extraordinary damage that these people are doing. You know, a lot of what you're seeing is compensation. People who feel like they're small, they feel like they're unheard, they feel like their voices don't matter. Probably some of them have lost their jobs to COVID and things like that. They're freaked out. And their leader, Trump, and his son are telling them the way to express your freak out is by intimidating other people. It's sad. It's unfortunate. It sounds like you had a clear case of assault there with a the girl who got spit on. But it's sadly not surprising, given who they are. Brian in Ann Arbor. Hey, Brian, what's on your mind? All of the mail-in voters need to determine whether or not their votes have been received by their election office. We don't know, because right. you can't trace a UPS mail. Those votes that have gone through the mail, you can't trace them, because they, they're just like a letter or a postcard that you mail. So what they have to do, anybody that mailed in voting needs to check with their election office and see if the vote has, their ballot has been received. And you can get to those offices by going to IWillVote.com, and, and you plug in your zip code, and they will connect you with your state election, you know, Secretary oh, of State oh, yeah. election offices. You can also get connect you to your Secretary of State's office and, and like that, and the, the, they'll right. show whether your whether your ballot has been received. If they do, yeah, that, no, that's my point. IWillVote.com is a portal that leads you to all of the state. It's run by the Democratic Party, but it's basically just a portal to the state Secretary of State's office. Whether you're a Democrat or Republican, you can use it. They need to do that immediately because if their ballot isn't yeah. there, they're going to have to vote to get on, and they get a ballot in today. Yeah, yes. I'm with you, Brian. Robin in Kingston, Washington. Hey, Robin. Talking about how things are going and what to think, I want to just kick back to summer 2016 where I called in and, and I knew that Trump was going to win. I think it's 50-50 right now. That's my own opinion. Basically, it's because of Trumpsters are going to do by hook and crook. They've hooked 45 million people. That's a reality. And we have a crook at the head of the Justice Department and Barr. So what I'm doing to deal with this, I'm planning my post-election activism, okay, regardless of the outcome. This is something to keep us focused on, just moving forward, not too quick. We cannot make the Obama mistake, which is that we elected him in 2008, and then we didn't show up in 2010. And it's really been all downhill since that time. So one of the things I'm thinking of is a CELEC, Citizens Legislative Exchange Committee, Citizens. It's a Dennis Kucinich Back to Work program. So keep the faith. Hmm. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Robin, thanks for the tip and thanks for the information. Be back with more of your calls in just a moment. It's the Tom Hartman program. Your media support group for the We the People as we're looking forward to change in America. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today is The Embattled Vote in America from the Founding to the Present by Alan J. Lichtman. This is from the introduction titled Voters and Non-Voters. On February 18, 1965, advocates for the voting rights of disenfranchised African Americans ordered a rare nighttime march in the small town of Marion, Alabama, part of the state's Black Belt, 
to protest the jailing of James Orange. Prosecutors had charged Orange with contributing to the delinquency of minors after he enlisted students in voter registration drives. Alabama state troopers responded to the protest by beating peaceful demonstrators with billy clubs and sending terrified marchers fleeing into the night. Some sought refuge from police violence in a nearby restaurant, Max Cafe. State troopers followed them into the establishment, however, and one of those troopers, James Bonnard Fowler, fatally shot an unarmed 26-year-old black voting rights worker, Jimmy Lee Jackson. Insisting that Jackson had reached for a gun, Fowler claimed self-defense. Eyewitnesses told a very different story. They said that Jackson was trying to protect his mother from police violence and that Fowler shot him deliberately and without provocation. While Jackson languished in a hospital for eight days before dying from his wound, Alabama officials issued a warrant for his arrest for the assault of a police officer. They did not arrest, indict, or discipline Fowler or even release his name to the public. Fowler remained on the state police force and a year later he shot and killed another unarmed black man, Nathan Johnson Jr., during an altercation at the Alabaster City Jail. State police officials were quick to purge both killings from Fowler's personnel file, but fired him in 1968 for assaulting his white police supervisor. In 2007, as part of a federal state effort to reopen cold cases from the civil rights era, Alabama prosecutors indicted the 73-year-old Fowler for murder. Two weeks before trial was set to begin in 2010, Fowler pleaded guilty to manslaughter and served five months of a six-month sentence. Fowler died in 2015, 50 years after killing Jimmy Lee Jackson. Americans were dying for the vote more than 175 years after the nation's founding because the framers made a consequential mistake when they drafted the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, the Constitution's first ten amendments. They failed to enshrine in these pivotal documents of our democracy the right to vote, not just for men or even only white men, but for any American. Among many enumerated rights that the government cannot abridge, the right to vote remained conspicuously absent and remains so to this day. All subsequent amendments protecting the voting rights of racial minorities, women and young people, the 15th Amendment on race, the 19th Amendment on sex, 26th Amendment on age, are framed negatively, stipulating not what the states must do to ensure people's voting rights in America's democratic republic, but what they cannot do. Jimmy Lee Jackson died, one could plausibly argue, because the political leaders who drafted these amendments perpetuated the framers' mistake of failing to establish an affirmative right to vote. Jackson died because white supremacists who controlled southern governments had circumvented the 15th Amendment's prohibition against denying the right to vote, quote, on account of race, color, or condition of previous servitude. They did so through patently discriminatory, although seemingly race-neutral, restrictions such as poll taxes and literacy tests. As the pioneers of modern democracy, the founders understood that the right to vote grounds all other rights that it empowers Americans to become participants in government rather than mere petitioners. But it was their omission of voting rights that triggered a war over America's embattled vote that continues to rage in the halls of Congress and in the courtrooms of federal judges. The notion of privileged access to the vote survives into our own time, albeit in subtler forms than in the past. Since the early republic, proponents of a limited vote have waived the banner of voter fraud. In earlier times, to justify the disenfranchisement of supposedly corruptible people such as the propertyless workers, women, racial minorities, or immigrants. Today, it is the allegations of such forms of alleged election fraud as voter impersonation, repeat voting, 
voting by non-citizens or balloting in the name of dead people that are used to justify restrictive measures like voter photo ID laws or draconian purges of registration rolls. Numerous studies have documented that such voter fraud is vanishingly small in recent elections, but the outcry continues as loudly as ever. Disputes over the vote have been intensely partisan, with principal justifications for voting restrictions functioning as thinly masked attempts to favor one party over another. From the end of Reconstruction through the early 20th century, it was the lily-white Democratic Party that benefited politically from suppressing the African-American vote. In recent years, the partisan calculations have reversed, as African-Americans have become the most reliable of Democratic voters, and Republicans have come to depend on the white vote. The book, The Embattled Vote in America, by Alan J. Lichtman. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, with two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity, and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, with two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. So the highest ranking Democrat in Florida, the Florida Commissioner of Agriculture and Consumer Services, Nikki Fried. Nikki also was a keynote speaker at the Democratic National Convention, an attorney and an activist. Twitter handle is N-I-K-K-I Fried, F-R-I-E-D-F-L, Nikki Fried, F-L, as in Florida. And Commissioner Fried, welcome back to the program. I'm curious your take on what the voter landscape in Florida is looking like right now. Well, first of all, thank you for having me back on today. You know, voters are voting in the state of Florida. Uh, we have record uh, vote turnout. We saw the Democrats, you know, really spend a lot of time in vote by mail. And, and we saw significant leads going into early voting. And, and even as of today, uh, we are going into Election Day with more votes and leads than, than was going into it in 2016. So the people here on the ground, uh, as I've traveled the entire state, are excited, excited to come out and vote. And we're seeing that throughout the entire state that people have gotten to the polls. They have found ways to vote. So we still have one more day. But of course, Florida's always closed. And so I don't anticipate it being yeah. anything but that. 
I understand that you're going to a, you're going to be speaking at a rally after this phone call, actually, with President Obama and others. It's pretty powerful stuff. What's going on? That that Florida might be in play. I, you know, 2000 was theory anyway, decided by 537 votes. Although Jeb Bush had figured out a way to knock 90,000 African Americans off the rolls in the months preceding that, do you anticipate an ongoing problem like this? I mean, is your is Governor DeSantis purging the voter rolls as aggressively as Jeb Bush was doing? Yes, certainly uh, Governor DeSantis has done everything possible to kind of suppress the vote, you know, from yep, having purging to having letters coming out from the Secretary of State as of a couple of weeks ago, a lot focusing on our returning citizens to our state. The Republican legislature has really torn apart our constitutional amendment that allowed returning felons who have paid their restitution and paid their fines and fees to be back onto the voting rolls. And unfortunately, the Republican legislature added additional hoops that these individuals had to jump through, and the governor has continuing to hold up his position up in the courts, not allowing 1.4 million of individuals who were supposed to have been covered under this amendment to be added to the voting rolls. So we only were able to add of that you know, 1.3, 1.4, only 150,000. But certainly those 150,000 are coming out to, to vote in a first presidential elections, and some of them ever in their lifetime. So the governor has certainly tried doing everything he can to block access to the polls and is continuing to do everything he can to support the one person in his life that matters, and that's President Trump, and making sure he, he gets reelected. Uh, and so the rest of the state of Florida can have something to say about that, though. Yeah, it's kind of sad. Is Florida one of the states that counts mail-in ballots and early ballots or early vote before Election Day so that those numbers will be included in your totals that you're reporting out tomorrow night, or does Florida count them after? Nope, we have already started counting. So depending on the county, some um, are already going to be up to speed. So it obviously depends on how many vote-by-mail ballots come in tomorrow. But we will have you know, election results, God willing, that night. It's going to be close. And so whether or not we go into recounts, but certainly everything will be counted sometime in the course of the next night. We'll get results. That's great. You are the highest-ranking elected Democrat in the state of Florida. What's your sense of how Florida politics might change if well, first of all, are the Florida House or Senate, either of those, is there a possibility of either of those flipping in this election? And how might even just a simple Biden victory change the politics of Florida? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was the only one who's been elected statewide in almost over 20 years, but I only won by a little under 7,000 votes. So we're seeing again that NPAs are, are breaking towards us in, in record numbers and we didn't see in 2016. We, in 2018, it was a little bit of a break towards the Democrats, but you know, pretty evenly split. So certainly when we see a lot of our down-ballot candidates, which is where I'm spending a lot of my time as I crisscross the state talking to our incredible House and Senate candidates, our congressional delegation candidates, as well as even our, our local mayors and county and city commissioners, you know, you're seeing a lot of, of upsurge uh, and a lot of people who are getting to those individual voters across our state, the MPAs, and moderate Republicans who are just tired of the rhetoric coming out of this administration and are just wanting some normality. Somebody who's got control in the White House, who's caring about everybody, not just his supporters. And so I do think that we are going to get close in the Florida House and the Florida Senate. I don't necessarily anticipate a flip in power, but certainly getting a lot closer to having a, an equally balanced a legislature. And then, of course, me being a, the only member in the Florida cabinet, you know, really having a consolidation that the Democrats are finally on our opportunity to 
have our messaging really transcend partisan politics, that we are talking to the MPAs, talking to moderate Republicans, and are really going to see a turn, especially when we bring it home in Florida for Joe Biden and we have a Biden you know, presidency, you will start seeing a lot of turning inside of our elected officials, knowing that they have to start governing more in the center, which is a reflection of really where our state is. I'm assuming NPA must stand for no preference. These are people who are not registered as yes, Democrats no or part- Republicans. Yeah, I, I apologize. No party affiliations. Those are our independent voters. Oh, here no party the affiliations. Okay. As, yeah, as, yeah. as NPAs, yeah. which is about, you know, as of right now, we have over 9 million votes cast. And of those nine, over 2 million of those are NPAs. So certainly a, a huge swing in there for Joe Biden. Hearing everything from 5 to 19 points will be the difference in this election. We're talking with Commissioner Nikki Freed, the Commissioner of Agriculture and Consumer Services, the highest ranking statewide elected Democrat in the state of Florida, attorney and activist as well. Commissioner Freed, back in the 1930s, when Franklin Roosevelt passed Social Security, the Republicans declared war on it. And literally since 1935 have been trying to destroy Social Security or at least privatize it, sell it to the, you know, give it to the big New York banks. Since 1967, when Medicare was passed, they have been trying to destroy Medicare. They have, since, since 1980, since, since Reagan came into power, done everything they can to raise taxes on low-income people. And now we discover that this Trump tax cut of 2017 has massive tax increases that kick in starting next year for people who earn less than $75,000 a year while it keeps taxes down on people at the top. And they've fought for years and years and years against health care. My sense has been in the past when I've talked about these things on the air, everybody goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Republicans talk about this and, you know, and eliminating the right to abortion and, and maybe even outlawing birth control. And all. The Republicans talk about this stuff, but we don't take them seriously. And we're going to vote for them because, uh, I don't know, they call themselves Christians and they have guns or something. Do you think that your no party affiliation, your NPAs, your unaffiliated voters, and even some of your Republican voters in the state of Florida are starting to figure out that all these years that Republicans have been talking about destroying Social Security, Medicare, rigging our tax code to benefit rich people and screw average people, doing away with health care and protections against big corporations, that actually they were deadly serious about all this because we've got, you know, we're so close to seeing so much of that agenda played out. Is that changing people's minds finally? Yeah, I think so. I think that you've seen, you know, when you have right now a Republican-controlled Senate, Republican-controlled White House, and you've seen what they have done with the ACA, you know, every step along the way trying to derail that. Uh, you're seeing it still in the court systems. And now that there's a 6-3 majority on the conservative swing of the court. And so all these things that have really been moving the ball forward on issues of social justice, gay rights, of abortion and protecting Roe v. Wade, that's in jeopardy. And they're serious about that. I mean, look at their actions. I always say actions speak louder than words. Look exactly at what is happening and, you know, how they're trying to push some of these cases up in front of the Supreme Court as fast as possible. And you're also seeing that, too, as far as if you look at the current economy, that it's, we're in a K-recovery meaning that the top one percenters um, continue to increase in their wealth, especially through you know, the stimulus packages, the, the nine you know, $6 trillion that were printed and given to the top one percenters, yet the lower part of our economy is continuing to go in a spiral downward. So I think that you're showing yeah. even more greater economic disparity than you had in the previous year. Spot on. Commissioner Nikki Freed of Florida. Nikki Freed FL is the Twitter handle. Uh, Commissioner Freed, thanks so much for dropping by. Great talking with you. Absolutely. You too. Thanks for making sure everybody's got a plan to, to vote. Tom Hartman. Visit Tom Hartman. Thank you. Yeah, I'm in. Audio and video archives. 
Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. I'm going to pick up your phone calls in just a moment, but just a couple of things, points that I wanted to share with you. Typically around this time, and keep in mind, Louis DeJoy, when he was testifying before Congress, he said, you know, the election is not a strain on the postal system. Fewer ballots are sent in than our Christmas cards. Even now that we're doing Christmas cards via email so frequently, there are more Christmas cards sent out every year than there are ballots. It doesn't slow down the mail. And he was right about that. And typically, the U.S. Postal Service reported moving 97% of ballots on time Wednesday, then 93% on Friday, and then 91% on Saturday. And now in Atlanta, it is 64% on time. In Colorado, which just went to all mail-in voting, it's 43% of on-time delivery, the U.S. Postal Service in Colorado. And if ballots aren't received, they don't get counted in Colorado. In Minnesota, Wisconsin, Arizona, Michigan, North Carolina, Texas, Florida, and Pennsylvania, all below that 90% mark that, you know, is the threshold of a functioning postal service. Republicans gutted the postal service in the hopes of basically stealing an election. I mean, it's mind-boggling. Lindsey Graham tells women, by the way, I want every young woman to know that there's a place for you in America if, see, this is what fascists do. There's always an if, right? Yes, we love everybody, but there's a place for you in America, young ladies, if you are pro-life, if you embrace your religion, and if you follow traditional family structure, then you can go anywhere, young lady. Right. Meanwhile, did you know that Donald Trump's tax cut in 2017 included massive tax increases on people making under $30,000 a year? The reason why it didn't much get reported or noticed, I mean, it was reported at the time, but uh, is that those tax increases on people making under, actually under $70,000, under $75,000 a year, that's 65% of taxpayers making under $75,000 a year. It's worse for people making under 30, but under 75,000. Those don't kick in until next year. 
But by 2027, every two years, the taxes on people making less than $75,000 a year go up, while taxes on millionaires and billionaires stay low. This is the 2017 Trump Tax Act that the Republicans passed. It's a delayed tax increase dressed up as a tax cut, writes Joe Stiglitz, a Nobel Prize winning economist in the New York Times. He said it has built in automatic stepped tax increases every two years that begin in 2021 and would affect nearly everyone but people at the top in the economic hierarchy. All taxpayer income groups with incomes of $75,000 and under, that's 65% of taxpayers, will face a higher tax rate in 2027 than in 2019. Amazing. And, you know, it's like there are still people who are calling up going, oh, Donald Trump has my back. You poor suckers. I mean, honest to God, you poor suckers. The White House said, oh, you know, we're going to block... We're going to put a moratorium on evictions. If you've lost your job, you can't get evicted, right? Well, this was published over at rawstory.com. In 23 counties across Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, and Texas, corporate management companies run by deep-pocketed financial firms evicted nearly 10,000 tenants between early September and October 17th. This is from an NBC News report. The Trump administration made it easier for wealthy companies to, I'm quoting, made it easier for wealthy companies to continue evicting tenants this month when it issued new guidance saying landlords can challenge tenants' claims that they're eligible for the moratorium. Basically, what Trump said is, you know, just because somebody lost their job, you can still evict them. You can only not evict them if they have COVID. Meanwhile, in the United Kingdom, Boris Johnson, the conservative leader, you know, the prime minister of that country, just went into lockdown, or is, I believe it's uh, starting Thursday of this week. Maybe it was last Thursday. This article is a bit ambiguous, but it lasts until December 2nd because they've just got to get this thing under control. I mean, they're looking at huge numbers. There are 20,000 new coronavirus cases a day. I mean, this is like, you know, Florida level numbers. 46,000 people have died in the United Kingdom from COVID-19. They have the fifth largest death toll in the world because for months they were adopting this herd what Trump calls herd mentality, the uh, herd immunity strategy. Well, what's interesting about this, and again, what you know, the Trump administration would never tell you, is that the conservative Boris Johnson administration in the United Kingdom, well, I'll just read you. This is from, the, uh, from Reuters, right? Just basic news, Reuters. The government will revive its emergency coronavirus wage subsidy program to ensure workers who are temporarily laid off during the England-wide lockdown will receive 80% of their pay. 80% of their pay. And I mentioned companies that are making last-minute donations. Judd Legum is keeping track of this. These were all donations made on October 29th or October 30th or 31st. For Lindsey Graham, Deloitte, Caterpillar, Kraft Heinz, Rolls-Royce, Microsoft, Lilly, and Delta. To David Perdue down in Georgia, the Hartford, Transamerica, HSBC, the bank, Wells Fargo, Barclays, and Dell. To Senator Susan Collins, USAA, Best Buy, American Airlines, Xerox, Verizon, and United Airlines. Last-minute contributions to Joni Ernst from KMPG, Dell, J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, Motorola, State Farm, Experian, Booz Allen, American Airlines again. Last-minute corporate contributions to Tom Tillis. These are all in the last couple days. 
The Gap, Morgan Stanley, Dell, HSBC, 3M. Boy, Dell's all over the place on these things. Michael Dell used to sell his computers when uh, Nigel and I were running the trade forum back in the day, the International Trade Forum on CompuServe. He was making them in his dorm room. <laughs> it's a fascinating story. Anyhow, picking up your phone calls here. Sandy in Hinsdale, Illinois. Hey, Sandy, what's up? Earlier in the program, you talked about Electoral College, and you said that there's interstate compact, and I was wondering if you could explain mm -hmm. that. And then the second yes. part of the question is, in regards to the Electoral College, which is easier, to repeal the 12th Amendment or to add an amendment that totally changes the Electoral College? There's two ways to get rid of the Electoral College. The traditional way of changing something that's in the Constitution, which is amend the Constitution. And so a constitutional amendment could be passed that says the Electoral College no longer exists, you know, just like we amended the Constitution to take slavery out of it, for example, the three-fifths clause and stuff like that. The problem is that requires two-thirds of the House, two-thirds of the Senate, and three-quarters of the states. So it's a high bar, particularly when the Republicans love the Electoral College. The other way around it, because the Constitution says that individual state legislators can direct their Electoral College votes to any candidate they want, regardless of how the people in their state vote. So if you can get enough states to equal 270 electoral votes to commit to direct their electors to vote for whichever candidate gets the majority of the popular vote, then the Electoral College becomes irrelevant. It just doesn't matter anymore. And there's a huge movement to do that. They're up to the point of, I think they're at 230 some odd electoral votes that they've got, states representing that many. And that is nationalpopularvote.com. You can read the whole thing. It'll tell you which states have and which states haven't. I'm pretty sure Illinois is already part of it, but I could be wrong. But you can check it out at nationalpopularvote.com. Sandy, thanks a lot for the call. Thank you for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget, it's your duty to vote and to help other people vote and to phone bank, whatever you can do. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. Good weather all across the country, by the way, for the next couple days. It's a You've really been good listening time. to Tom Vote. Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com.